There's something that happens when you move away from a place where you grew up. You learn that you can create the feeling of family around you more than once in your lifetime. You find out that you can be at home and comfortable in different places and maybe even different cultures than the one you grew up in. But even when a person moves away, there's a strong tie linking them back to their original home, the town, the land, the house or apartment, the parks, and of course the people. As the volcano on Hawaii Island has destroyed communities and left thousands without homes, it sent shockwaves of emotion across the country to those with ties to Hawaii, whether they live here now or they've since relocated. Aloha, I'm Kat Howland, and in this episode, we will hear from several pro athletes from Hawaii who have turned their fans and friends' competitive spirits into an opportunity to help those in need. And we will hear from two friends who grew up on Hawaii Island together, one who moved to New York City and one who still lives here, both feeling the effects of the volcano that is changing the shape of the big island of Hawaii. My colleague Malu, who works in the Hawaii Community Foundation's Hilo office, sent me this article that she read online. She said it was a narrative sort of piece, and it really captured the raw emotion of losing your childhood home, even if you and your family are safe now. The article showed an aerial view of a home surrounded by greenery and a white car parked nearby. It was written by Miles Hewitt, now living in New York. Uh, the White Car in the Yard by Miles Hewitt. The white car Here is Miles reading from the, the piece that he wrote. The rusting metal that used to be my 1980 Ford Fairmont. My grandpa showed me how to change the air filter and the spark plugs. He and my brother In an email, Miles told me that he'd grown up on the island, that his family was having a rough time now and had moved to the mainland where they would figure out what to do next. He was grateful that everyone in his family was safe and sound and sheltered, even if they'd been uprooted. But he knew many people who were not sheltered, and this was complicated. He would be so mad that I let them junk that car. He used to make me drive him to chemo to pay him back for the car repairs. I still owed him about $1,000 when he died, but he wrote it off and told me not to worry about it. His ashes were spread on the property near the back house he lived in. Years earlier, my great aunt had died there, and her ashes were spread near the house too. And the car, the house, my grandpa's ashes, the banyan tree my dad planted so he wouldn't have to see the ugly house across the street the ugly house across the street, the tide pools, the driveway where I learned to ride a bike, play, where I forgot how to play, the palms we transplanted one year when I was home from college, the big pine tree that grew higher than the house and permanently had Christmas lights on, where my siblings were born, and the plumeria tree, and the puakini king, my dog Sam's grave, and our dog Tootsie's grave, and our cat Stanley's grave, and my old N64 and Xbox and the satellite dish. My dad got when my mom was in Cuba and finally couldn't stop us from getting a satellite dish and all the other things I remember and all the other things that I don't remember, but I know were there. They were there. Now they're not. They burned. They burned and their ashes burned as they were covered by lava. And Everybody who lived there escaped safely. So yes, they're fine. We're all fine. Everything is fine. It's fine. It's just stuff. It's just stuff. And we got all the important things out. And in the storage, and that's what matters, everything is fine. It's just stuff. And that's not what's important. What's important is that everyone's alive, except the people that aren't, but they weren't anyway. And it's just sad. And it, it's not okay at all. I'm not okay. I, but I guess that's okay, because nobody's okay. And if I loved the house so much, I would have gone back. So really, 
This is just attention-seeking behavior and calculated sympathy-seeking, overwrought sentimental garbage, so please don't encourage it. But I really just want someone to know that this place existed, and it doesn't exist anymore. And I'm allowed to be sad about it because I'm a person, and people are sad sometimes, and there's no right way to do it, but there are a lot of wrong ways to be sad, and I hope this isn't the wrong way to do it. It's just the way I'm doing it, and I miss the hammock on the porch I used to read in. And I miss the rock in the driveway and the reservoir and the hill that I laid on and watched a meteor shower one night in August. <clears throat> I miss the Capoho graveyard and the lighthouse that are both still there because they get to keep existing, but my car doesn't. It, it hadn't run in years. It should have been scrapped. There was grass growing through the floor, and it, was, it wasn't even a good car, really. It just had a lot of sentimental value, you know, like a house or a sign or a newspaper box or a sunrise or the way sometimes it would rain on one side of the house and be sunny on the other side. And the rainbows would just be so vivid. They looked real, but they weren't. They're an optical illusion. And I love that house, but I didn't really. If I did. I would have gone back and said goodbye and maybe checked the trunk of the car because the more I think about it, the more sure I am that I left some stuff in the trunk. But that's okay. It's not okay, but it is. It has to be. It's just stuff. It's stuff. But it's just stuff. I love stuff, but stuff matters. And I miss stuff. I love stuff. And it matters when we lose our stuff. Miles connected me with his friend Kendra Tidwell, who he still keeps in touch with. She lives and works on Hawaii Island, and she and her boyfriend lost their home because of the volcano. My name is Kendra Tidwell. I am a lifelong resident of Puna. Here's a bit from my conversation with Kendra. When you first read Miles' piece. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Miles, he... We've been in touch throughout all this because from the start of the eruption, his house was in that town of Kapoho, and uh, or neighborhood more so. But Kapoho wasn't a direct threat at first, but I had a lot of friends there and a lot of people who started thinking like, oh, you know, are we going to do? Should we prepare for anything? A lot of people not wanting to do anything. Miles' father... Um, had just retired at the end of this past school year from uh, from being a teacher. He was our high school teacher. And, um, you know, so he was going into retirement, and he didn't want to do anything. He wanted to enjoy his retirement, and Miles' mother was very nervous. And because he's just so close to them, and he's in New York, he went to college in New York, and he has a good job there, and he loves it there, but he was reaching out to me because I work in the local government. And Miles was saying, Kendra, what should I do? You know, should I come home? Should I help? Do they need to leave? And I, so I kind of walked him through that and said, you know, there's not really much to panic about yet, but it wouldn't hurt to take some precautions. And, uh, so I was telling that to a lot of friends at that time. Another girlfriend of mine, a single girlfriend, she had a home in Kapoho and she was also a high school teacher here and she had built that place from the ground up over 10 years and given it everything and, she was in denial, and uh, I told her, I'm like, please, just, you know, just a couple boxes, just pack up some that stuff, way, just in case. Overnight, Kapoho was 95% wiped out. So, you know, and Miles, and him writing about that, he's not, I mean, he's a stand-up comedian, he's not an emotional guy, and uh, 
but to see his writing and read that and get his feelings and that, that pain for people that are really far away that aren't here and can't see that. And like he was conveying like, wow, like, you know, if I really did love that home, I would have come home or I would have visited. And, and I had told him like to, to not come here because there was so many people and so much chaos. And, and when I said that, I didn't know that his home was going to go. And I thought, you know, why to just prepare, but whatever. And, uh, but it, it went so fast, and of course, there's nothing that could have been done. So, At this point, Kendra shared about her own experience. So May 1st, we went up there, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really crowded. You know, it was really cool, and, and uh, the, it was really active. You could see the lava pool in there, and we um, we had a haku lei that we left as an offering, and we came home to Leilani on Ho'okupu Street, and the earthquakes were starting when we got in that evening, and it was you know, it was really unusual and that we were all lifelong residents of the area and we're familiar with earthquakes and that's not really something that phases us, but to sit there and just feel every minute, you know, a little rumble come through and if you really sat still and paid attention, it was a constant humming underneath you. Wow. And um, we went to bed and we just, we felt those earthquakes all night and the next morning, Wednesday morning, the second, uh, my boyfriend is actually a vendor down in Kalapana and I told him, I said, I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think you should do that tonight. He agreed. He said, yeah, something's happening. He had been a lava tour guide in Kalapana for many years. So he, he knew, you know, we're both pretty sensitive to that stuff. And mm-hmm. um, so he got out that day. We started evacuating. You know, the next day the cracks opened up and we started staying with friends. We uh, He got as much as he could out, but three weeks after that, um, was kind of, you know, the lava moved downrift. There was a lot of activity. We were all watching it and waiting and watching the videos every day, like Miles said, you know, exactly how Miles described it was so true, where you're just seeing these agonizing pictures and searching for that roof, searching for that little familiar spot where you can see your home and know that it's still there. And and uh, we just watched it. And then when it moved back up, uh, back updrift into Leilani again, where it's still active with that fishery, um, that's when it took his house on Thursday, May 24th. And uh, so, yeah, he lost his home. He lost a lot of tools. He lost a lot, like pretty much all of his furniture, kitchen stuff, electronics, you know. Um, he did get all of his heirlooms out, anything, you know, the, the important stuff for the family. But that's that's what happened. And we're still bouncing around. We still don't really know where we're going to live. But um, So that's been the impact on my life. And my childhood home is in Nanavali, so I've been helping my mom prepare for the worst and you know kind of like how I told my friends in Kapoho where people didn't think anything was going to happen I begged them to just prepare and then overnight everything was gone like you don't think about taking a beach for granted you think oh it's a beach it's going to be there like but so many of these places on our coast that I have memories from my whole life and that are gone now that you can't ever go back there and I didn't think the last time I was there that it would ever be a last time but um but yeah. So what do you think, you know, in, in talking with folks and um and in some of your work, you know, what what do you think the community needs the most right now? What we're starting to see and uh I watched a um Brian Schatz at the you know at the um national level Senate. He he gave a great speech informing the Senate in D C about this eruption and he made a great point in that all natural disasters or any disaster you have the um, the actual crisis, and then you have the 
recover, like you're, you're addressing it and then there's a recovery and relief afterwards and there's, that everything is happening simultaneously right now. We have people that have been in a shelter for two months and we have people that are evacuating today. So it's, there's different levels of need and the immediate pressing needs of, um, you know, feeding people, you know, those basics, blankets, pet food, those kinds of things, they're, that's pretty established and that's a, that's a need that's been filled really well by the community. But we're starting to see the long-term fallout, which is that these people are never going back to their homes. And it's, it's again, different in the sense that it's not like a flood or a hurricane or a tornado where you can go in and pick up the pieces and start building again. It's, it's ongoing. And where are all these people going to go? You know, people that had unpermitted structures or people that didn't have insurance. FEMA is not giving enough for somebody to go buy a house. It's, it's a small grant, if anything, or it's a loan. And it's a small loan, you know, to get a small basic house, and then it's more debt for people that have had such loss. So, you know, at, at my job here in the government, we're seeing, you know, lots of proposals of building new neighborhoods and subdivisions, um, you know, different ways of approaching that. It brings other questions and problems, like like the funding or what does that mean about the infrastructure for the area that was already really underserved? Pune's been the fastest growing district in the state, and yet it's also one of the poorest districts in the state. So those are the big issues. And, um, you know, the shelters, some people are still living under tents, but a lot of people are living in friends' garages. You know, they're set up at a Ohana somewhere. And like myself, it's like... um you know, what do we have to afford to buy something? And then even if we do, what is there to trust? You know, what what is safe at this point? Do we drive around with a gas mask in our car for the rest of our lives, just checking the wind conditions every day if this continues? Or so, you know, nowhere else is as affordable. Right. A lot of, yeah. Well, how does it... um how does it impact you when people suggest going somewhere else, you know, moving to the mainland or a neighbor island or even a different part of the island when your roots are there? That's that's a good question. It's uh, It seems a little, frankly, it seems a little like unsympathetic or misunderstanding or, you know, that that's almost in line with like the victim blaming mentality that some people have of like, well, didn't you know that you lived on a volcano? And it's like, well, yeah, I mean, of course we did, but they were told by, you know, the land developers and by the government that it was safe. Um, so when someone says to move elsewhere, it's like, okay, well, Maui, for example, sure, Maui's great, but the cost of living is even more, you know, it's much more expensive. Or the mainland, you know, a lot of people here don't have the means to, you know, financially be able to make a big move like that, or they might not know people over there to help them once they do get there. Um, so it's it's kind of an oversimplistic suggestion, really. Mm-hmm. And it, it, for people that have gone through all this, it just, it, it does feel insensitive and, uh, like they don't really have a grasp on the situation. A lot of people have left already. Like anybody that could leave is leaving or has already left. And like my own little sister, she's in Portland and she loves that. And she's always said she has two homes now, which I'm sure is how Miles feels. Of, you know, you have your, you know, you're grown up and you left the rock, so to speak, and you have your little niche carved out for you, but Hawaii is your home. And Miles told me it's like he feels like he would be a tourist now because if he comes back to Hawaii, you know, it's not like he can go back to his house. And um, that ripple effect, one really good example of that is uh, the surfer community. And that Pohuiki Beach Park here is 
is currently threatened, and that's what we're all watching right now is the lava's a couple hundred yards from that. And it's also one of the state's biggest um, fishing, you know, there's the boat ramp there, and that's where so many fishermen go, and it's incredibly profitable and important. But in Hawaiian culture, you know, the Ahapua'a system, you you access the ocean from your land and your spot. And for all these people who need the ocean to be forced to go elsewhere. It's already causing backlash. You know, people in Honolulu are getting into confrontations and fights, and um, there's, yeah, that's definitely being felt. We're hearing a bit here, you know, in the Oahu office, we have our um, our HCF staff, you know, on the ground on, on Hawaii Island. We're hearing from them about, you know, almost unprecedented levels of working together between different sectors and different nonprofits and, and also just kind of community members really linking arms and working together. Are you seeing some of that spirit of kind of that, you know, we can do, we can, we can overcome this together? Um, definitely. Yeah. There's the first thing that comes to mind and what um, many are probably thinking of was uh, when this immediately started, like in the first week or so, um, there was talk of, you know, the more established uh, organizations that come in and they have their system and that it doesn't apply to the situation because it's not, like I said, a tornado or something that you just pick up after. And um, they were having some difficulty about feeding people and where was the food prepared and if people brought in donated food, how was it prepared and food safety regulation, that kind of thing. Food being disposed of that was perfectly good for people that needed it. And so that um, a group was formed that said, hey, we're going to feed people. And they set up a little um, space on private land. They're called Pu'uhonua Opuna. And people just, you know, really came together and said, hey, we're bringing food. We're cooking this food. And anybody can come and eat it. And it wasn't about checking, you know, oh, where did you come from? Where's your ID? What's your address? It's just if you're hungry, come eat. And if you want to bring food, bring it. No questions asked. But there, we do have lots of great nonprofits, and I know um, Hawaii Community Foundation is helping with those. Um, we have Neighborhood Place of Puna. We have Hope Services Hawaii, Hope Services, and um, they're helping with housing as well. There's the Food Basket, which works with the Bodacious Women of Pahoa, and they're right here in town. They're a little local group, and they, they kind of focus more on emergency preparedness. But they also do a food pantry, so they've been another great organization. All and all, just grassroots, you know, people right here from the community that are doing this out of the kindness of their heart. There's a lot of things being done, but I mean, it really is unprecedented. It really is so huge, and I mean, I know everybody's doing their best and everybody's overworked, but it's 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 really easy to to feel upset about it all, of course. What do you think the community needs to hear the most right now? Partially, uh, you know, with social media, there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of speculation. So at my job, you know, the most local level of government, and I'm, my office is right in town in Pahala where it's all happening, um, I do spend time just uh, trying to set the facts straight and trying to give people information. People really want information, so it's important for them to get the accurate stuff. So I try to provide that. And um, that's part of it, but also... Just the acknowledgement from, you know, like when we, we did have a town hall with Tulsi Gabbard here, she's our U.S. representative, and that, that acknowledgement from that level of government, I think, gives people a lot of hope and love and aloha. And so when we, we hear about, you know, Oahu or the mainland or these other organizations that send their aloha to, that, that really helps. 
What would you say is your um, your greatest hope for the people affected by the volcano? Well, I think, I guess the the bigger picture here and the hope and maybe the big long-term takeaway is that 70 years ago or so or 60 years ago when these land developers did this, um, that was, you know, that really is why this all happened. Somebody said it was okay and safe to build there and clearly it wasn't. So as we rebuild, there's the hope that things can be really done right and done fair for the people of Puna and giving them what they're due, you know, with infrastructure and with funding and with businesses and homes and neighborhoods and everything. That would be really great to see. Yeah. Oh, my God, you got me over here. Oh. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I'm here. The ties that keep us connected to our homes, our friends and family, have a way of looping around and including others, which is why the Be a Hero for Hawaii Pro Athlete Challenge came about. Kamagruzier Hill. How's it? This is Kamagruzier Hill, linebacker for the Philadelphia Eagles. And five of his pro athlete friends, who are also from Hawaii. We're here to help. Max Bless Holloway, UFC featherweight champion. Hey, my name is Yancey Maderes, UFC welterweight contender. I'm Colton Wong, second base for the St. Louis Cardinals. Aloha, I'm Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, infitter for the Texas Rangers. And Tennessee Titans quarterback Marcus Mariota challenged their teammates and rivals to give and support those affected by the volcano. Come join the professional athletes from Hawaii as we come together and help our island community. Cruiser Hill described his reason for giving this way. Being all the way in Philly um, is a little personal for me because I got my... Uh, I got my sister-in-law that actually lost their home in the in the volcanoes right when it first started happening. So I was like, you know, it was kind of frustrating because I was so far away, but I wanted to figure out a way to help. And so when I got home this break, I was like, you know, I got to figure a way to do something and something that will, you know, kind of um, bring everyone together and, and try and um, help this cause. So kind of thought of some things. I was like, maybe, you know, maybe if we get some, some of the, the other guys that are, um, you know, in professional athletes or or succeeding in, in their fields, right, um, that are representing Hawaii to get together and maybe we could do something special. I mean, that's what makes everything special um, about Hawaii, you know. Um, we go out, we're miles and miles away, and it's, it's kind of sad sometimes because um, people in the mainland don't always get the Hawaiian news, but this is such a big thing that, you know, I had guys in my locker room coming up to me like, hey, are you okay? Is everything back home all right? And um, so to come together, even though we're in different locker rooms and different sports and all this kind of stuff is, is just amazing. Um, I mean, that's just, that's just, I think that's just how uh, Hawaii rolls. Yeah, so you get, um, we got a bunch of the Hawaii guys, uh, the pro athletes from Hawaii and from the NFL, the MLB, and the UFC, and we're trying to come together and put together this challenge. You know, this is a very complex kind of disaster, and it's not as simple as just, you know, something coming in and we can rebuild everything right on the same soil. Um, so I think people really kind of um, got to realize how um, important it is to get involved because, you know, people have been displaced and we got to figure out a way long term how we can get these people back into homes. And the others stepped forward because of their own ties. Max Bless Holloway, UFC featherweight champion, and I'm challenging you to be a hero for Hawaii. Puna of Hawaii is like uh, uh, of the big island. Remind me of home. Like a lot of people say, it's like Waianae, you know, of Oahu, you know. So it's pretty crazy. And, uh, and you hear these, these guys like, imagine waking up one day and then all of a sudden they tell, people tell you, get out of your house. You, you know, you only can take certain things and you don't know if you, you, it's going to be there. And then when you find out that your house is gone, what happens? You know, it's all, you get turned, you get hit upside down, you know, and that's, that's life. That's crazy. But, uh, you know, 
that's why Hawaiians, we gotta come together now. This is the best time to come together, stay strong, and help help people. We thank everyone who contributed their heartfelt stories to this podcast episode. For details about the Be a Hero for Hawaii Pro Athlete Challenge, visit heroesforhawaii.org. Come join the professional athletes from Hawaii as we come together and help our island community. Go to heroesforhawaii.org to join the challenge and donate. Mahalo. Mahalo.